Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Vanessa Lista. Vanessa's autistic older brother, Billy, has been her inspiration her whole life. Currently studying kinesiology and psychology in college, Vanessa's goal is to become a pediatric physical therapist. In this conversation, we discuss how Vanessa's relationship with her brother has evolved over the years, why she admires Billy, how she's been advocating for him from a young age, her experiences as a behavior therapist, what physical therapy is, and example goals that can be targeted, and advice to other siblings of autistic individuals. In this episode, discover what's possible when relationships are strengthened by listening. To learn more about Vanessa, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now, I present you, Vanessa Lista. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Could you please briefly introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Vanessa. I live in Swanksville, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour outside of Philadelphia. I'm a kinesiology major at Westchester University with a psychology minor. My end goal is to become a pediatric physical therapist and work with those on the spectrum. And I was a former ABA therapist and a special needs sibling. All right. So let's talk about your brother. How old is he? What's his name? And what are some of his interests? Yeah. My older brother, Billy, is going to be 25 in July. He was originally diagnosed with pervasive developmental disorder, not specified, at like 28 months. Now I believe it's just considered ASD, Um, but uh, he's considered less severe. His only true difficulties with communication, he's able to ask for simple man such as, I want water, please, but he can't hold a conversation. However, he's a great listener, <laughs> wants to solve our problems. Um, and his diagnosis definitely had a huge impact on my life as he was diagnosed around the time I was born. So I grew up taking care of him and learning from him. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely get into your childhood in a bit. So is he receiving any support now? So since he's 25, he no longer um, qualifies for like educational support. So He, for a while, was just stuck with us because he doesn't have any aggressive behavior. So he was like the bottom of the list for all of the like programs after you graduate. But he eventually got into like a day program and he was there from like school hours. But then when the pandemic came, he no longer was able to receive support from there. 
they closed for a while. So me and my siblings have been taking turns taking care of him. Oh, and my boyfriend, he he helps a lot too. Okay. Do you guys all live together? No. So I'm at school. Then my sister, she is about to get married. So they have a place and he goes there. And between my parents and us, like we all just take turns taking care of him. Okay. Got it. So what kinds of services did your brother receive growing up? So I recently found out he did receive ABA for like the first, I think it was two years of his life until he started going to school. And then when he went to school, he had TSS, which is therapeutic staff support. So they would come after school and just pretty much like instead of him having homework, it was him getting that extra guidance and like relearning some of the stuff he learned in school and just helping him out at home. And then um, he did also receive speech and occupational therapy. So he kind of has tried everything, but the, his main thing was therapeutic staff support until he turned 21 and then that went away. Okay. So you said that he has some limited communication skills, but he's able to kind of ask for what he wants. Have you ever tried expanding his language using an augmentative and alternative communication device? So when he was diagnosed, that wasn't really an option yet. He mainly focused on using PECs. That was like the thing <laughs> then. The picture exchange system. Mm-hmm. He carried around a little binder all the time with him and it would say like, so my parents were big on like please and thank yous and stuff. So it'd have like those already on there. And then he would just like move what he wanted and have to like say it. He eventually grew out of it and now he's good without it. But that was all we really were able to use then. But it was difficult because now with the new systems, you can add whatever you want onto there. Whereas this, it's like you have to go print it out and yeah. put stickies on it and mm-hmm. stuff. So it was a pain. And then you lose them all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. What does he like to do in his free time? Well, be on his iPad mostly. <laughs> he um, has an addiction to fast forwarding devices. So for those who don't really remember, like you remember the old VHS tapes how like you'd have to like rewind to the beginning or you'd fast forward to the end depending on where you needed to be in it. He loves that fast motion, that stimulation it gives him. So his iPad, he loves to go on YouTube and like he actually has found YouTube videos of like someone recording the whole Lion King that in fast forwarding. Oh. I don't know why someone ever recorded that, but he found it and he loves watching it. <laughs> So he loves that. And then he used to love reading books and um, puzzles, swimming, things like that. Like he, he likes to be artistic. He likes to, like, if he finds any paper, he'll like doodle all over and like scratch all over it. So he finds his ways. But if he had a choice, he would definitely take his iPad all day long. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is he going to be able to go back to the day center? So we're hoping for it. He was recently told he could go back, but they were making him wear a mask the whole time. And my mom knows he's not going to listen to that. He's going to just rip it off his face all day. Mm. So until they lift the mask, I think he's going to remain with us, especially since it's my summer break. I'm able to help a little more. I'll be able to come home and actually like sit with him at home. Mm -hmm. But as of right now, he... um 
is going to just stick with us. But as soon as that mask lifts, I think we are going to have him during the day and then we'll watch him in the afternoon. Okay. What were the dynamics like at home when you were growing up? So growing up, I... I felt like I grew up really fast because I always was taking care of my brother. Like life kind of sort of revolved around him. We like to tell people like we grew up behind locked doors. Every door in our house had to be locked because my brother was a little troublemaker (laughs) because of his obsession with televisions. We had to lock up every door that had any sort of electronics in it. And then also any door that had food in it, like so all our pantries and stuff, because he has no control of his hunger. If you saw him eat, you'd think we never fed him, but mm. <laughs> he just doesn't know how to stop. He'll eat till he throws up. So because of that, we've always had to keep everything locked. And he's very stealthy. So if you're not sitting next to him and like engaging with him, he will sneak around you. He's He's before found a five pound container of our Easter candy Mm. and he ate the whole thing in one sitting and was sick the rest of the night. Oh no. So it's just (laughs) that or he'll break, he's broken into our bedrooms. Like we've always had to carry keys around. It was, it it was annoying, but we understood why we had to do it. Mm. But, um, aside from all those doors being closed, um, all of our plans kind of revolved around like who was going to be home with Billy. And since I was the youngest for the longest time, I always was kind of responsible for staying home with him. But I'm not complaining about that, though, because to be honest, I, I loved hanging out with my brother. He definitely inspired me the person to be the person I am today. Like I, I never saw him as like abnormal growing up. I always thought everything he did was normal he was just I always just knew he was like special I didn't really have like a whole sit down conversation like oh your brother has autism like I just kind of knew I don't know how I don't really know how to explain it but I just knew that he was special and that he like needed my help and I loved him and I clearly saw like there was millions of people coming in and out of our house growing up and he had his own therapy room and everything. But to me, he was just my sibling and I knew I had to protect him and guide him. Mm -hmm. Can you give some examples of how you advocated for your brother from a young age? Um, Just in general, like I my biggest memory growing up with my brother to this day probably is like, I remember we would go to the park with my friends from school and he has this thing where he likes to chew on everything. (laughs) And the playground we were at had these like tires as the mulch and he was in the corner chewing on them. And I just remember my friends being like, Oh, he's weird. That guy's weird. Like, what is he doing? And I was like, Oh, First of all, that's my brother. (laughs) Second of all, he has autism. Like, he doesn't know any better. And I know everyone kind of looked at me like, what the heck does that mean? Mm -hmm. But, like, so my friends growing up, since I went to a small private school, they knew from the beginning who my brother was and his his quirks, I guess you'd say. They all kind of knew and they kind of understood what autism was because I right away, like, told them and corrected them. And they were, they also kind of became like big defenders of my brother. If they ever saw anyone like outside of our group saying anything, they're like, yo, that's not okay. (laughs) So they were, they were great growing up. But I think that's like the 
biggest memory I probably have advocating for him when I was younger. Mm-hmm. How has your relationship with Billy changed over the years? I mean, it's it's a lot more difficult now that I don't see him as often as I would love to because I used to be with him constantly. You know how like you have siblings and there's certain sibling you're very like close to? That was me and my brother growing up. Like I remember I'm sure he didn't enjoy it, but we'd make up like dance moves. <laughs> and, like we my mom would be like, Vanessa, you are torturing him. But he was so good about it. Like I would be like, Oh, you're gonna spin me here. And we had like our special handshake and <laughs> it was so much fun growing up with Billy. Or like my biggest memory of wanting to become a physical therapist was when he went to his speech and occupational therapy sessions, it was in this clinic that also had a physical therapist in it. And I just remember sitting there and not wanting to watch any of his occupational and speech. I guess just at the time, it wasn't interesting to me. But I love to watch the physical therapist in the other room work with the kids there. And I just like fell in love with it. And they saw me being nosy. And like, eventually, they did get to show me like all the stuff. They're like, Oh, do you want to see this? And they'd like, try to include me, because I was bored at my, <laughs> my brother's sessions. And then I'd come home. And of course, Billy was my test subject. I'm like, Oh, we're gonna do this. It's like, here's your therapy ball, <laughs> like and teaching him all the stuff I saw. But he was such a good sport growing up. Now, like, I mean, it's different now that we're older. Obviously, I'm not torturing him like I did. (laughs) Now he's just, it's kind of hard because after he left school, because, you know, they only let him stay till he's 21, he regressed a lot. Hmm. He isn't saying as much words as he used to, and he's not as focused anymore. So my biggest goal has been trying to keep him up to date. Like he doesn't even remember his phone number and address anymore. Like we used to have that as like a safety thing, mm-hmm. just in case something happened. He only tells you the last four digits now. Mm. And it's it's been hard. So I feel like I've come from being his fun sister that we're doing all these activities with to being like his teacher. And I'm sure he gets so annoyed with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but It's so important that he keeps up. I don't want him to completely regress to the point where he's not speaking again, because that was awful when he would regress to that point. For a while, um, before he went to the private school that he did, he was in our public school system. And we had an incident where his one teacher that was teaching the special needs program didn't want to be there. That wasn't what she wanted to do, but the school had her there temporarily until they got a new person. Well, she was there for like six months and she didn't teach at all to them. So my brother went from saying all the stuff to he wasn't saying anything anymore and he was stimming and getting irritated. Apparently, Because my brother had no aggression issues, they would only see him for maybe like 30 minutes a day when he needed more support than that. So we eventually had to pull him out of the school and we did get him into a different school that was just special needs. Um, But it was awful at the time. So I just don't want that to happen to him again. So that's like our biggest thing. So I'm sure now he sees me more of a teacher than a sister, but it's for his own good. Mm. 
he's just wants to be on his iPad, like I said. And I'm like, no, we're going to get up and go do things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's important to make sure that some of these skills are maintained with practice and exposure. So what are some of his strengths? What do you admire about him? I admire that he's always so happy. Nothing bothers him. He's so gentle and happy all the time. He is like this belly laugh and it's so contagious. And my boyfriend's so good at getting him to laugh. It's (laughs) those two together are like, the duo like they love each other it's so cute but anyway so yeah I just admire that he's happy no matter what the situation we could be sitting in a line for like hours and he's still finding something to entertain himself and giggle the whole time Mm. and I just also love how patient and gentle he is towards others like he could want food and he's begging for food but let's say we're waiting at a restaurant for food like he's so good at just being patient with whatever's going on and cooperating. Like he'll just listen to anything you tell him to do, which sometimes might be bad depending on who he's with. But with us, like obviously we would never do anything to harm him. So it's like, he's so cooperative. Like, I don't know how he has so much patience for us, but he does. And I do really admire that from him. So what's a good way to build a strong relationship between siblings if one is autistic and the other isn't? Well, a lot of it has to do with just learning how they work and what's okay and what's not with them. Like my brother, he he only sometimes likes physical contact. So his thing is he likes his head rubbed. I, I don't know why, but he always has loved his head rubbed. Or like he'll like to hold your hands and just squeeze your hands sometimes. But then other times he doesn't want you anywhere near him. So it's just learning what they want at the moment. It's hard, but they'll give you signs. Like Billy, his thing is he'll go for you to grab your hands. So you know you back off until he wants you to give him that. Or he'll grab your hand and actually put it on his head. So everyone has their own thing. Like I worked in the field. I was an ABA therapist, as I said before. And both of my patients actually were twins. So the biggest thing was teaching the sibling also what they can and cannot do with their sibling because it was difficult. Like the one he wanted zero physical contact altogether. The autistic twin. Mm -hmm, The autistic twin. Yes. And the other one who was so-called non-autistic, you know, normal, I guess people would consider, which is not really a thing, but anyway, um, she was all about physical contact, like wanting to hug him and and he hated it. So it was all about teaching like, okay, so he sometimes will give you hugs, but you have to ask him for them. You have to make sure he's comfortable before grabbing because then that's what caused a lot of behaviors is if she just went for it. Then she's wondering why she's getting smacked in the face Mm. because he didn't want a hug. He wasn't ready for it. But if we teach her, if you ask him for it, then sometimes he will give it to you. There was times he got and we had to teach him like, look, it's okay to give hugs. Like if you don't want to, you can say no. But if you want to, you can. And he eventually like got really good at it. Like she would be like, can I give you a hug right now? And he'd be like, yeah. And they would 
hug and it was the cutest thing in the world, especially (laughs) because they were so young when I met them. But it's just all about knowing what is okay and what it's not. And from there, you really do learn to build a relationship off that. Because if that's their biggest focus is like sensory issues, they're going to be too focused on the sensory issue and not on building a relationship with you. That was like my biggest thing with my brother was learning what his sensory issues were. And after that, he was totally fine. And like I said, I was able to like make him dance and stuff. (laughs) And he was, he knew how our relationship was and it worked. (laughs) Have you ever tried to be on his level and have the same interests as him? Yes. So I am not a puzzle person at all. I have no patience for puzzles, but he loves them. So I would sit down for like hours doing this huge puzzle with him. And I hated every second of it, but (laughs) he loved it. So I was like, I can't not sit down and do puzzles with him. But luckily, like my older sister loves puzzles too. So like that was usually her thing. But like I said, sometimes like I'm with my brother all day. So sometimes he does stuff I want to do, like walking around the outlets. And sometimes (laughs) uh, he wants to do puzzles and I'll go sit with him and do them. Yeah. So it's about give and take at that point, (laughs) taking turns of who wants to do what, especially when he's stuck with me all day long. (laughs) Right. So Vanessa, yeah, many siblings of people with disabilities end up on a career path of helping other people with disabilities. And as you said, you were an ABA therapist. Tell us about some of your experiences in that role and why you decided to leave the field. So with ABA therapy, I actually never even was the one that approached it. There was a um, company that actually approached me to work with them. I always was just trying to find an occupation in the physical therapy field because I knew that was my end goal. But when the opportunity came, I I thought like, oh, well, I've seen plenty of therapy sessions with my brother. Like there's no harm in at least going to an interview. And I ended up loving the job so much I'm sad I left but there was a lot of things to it like the company was changing a lot of management and I wasn't able to give all the time they wanted they were like requiring certain amount hours and I couldn't do that and there also was just there's just a lot going on that I wasn't agreeing with I I think being a sibling of special needs really taught me of like some of the stuff of like, it's not giving progression. It's kind of going against what the child wants. So an example was um, I was directed to have my one patient, he had to sit down on his bottom when it came to eating at a table. They didn't want him sitting on his feet or any other way they wanted him to sit at the table but for some reason it was causing him such anguish like he just did not want to sit at the table and I started to kind of see that I think he didn't like the sensation of the seat underneath of him Mm. so he was more comfortable sitting on his foot and to me and the mom me and the mom discussed it she didn't care as much about sitting correctly at a table with his bottom planted she just wanted him 
to be able to sit at a table for when they were in public, like they went to a restaurant or something. She didn't care how he was sitting. She just wanted him there. But the BCBA was directing me to have him sit on his bottom. He wasn't allowed to sit on his foot and it was causing a lot of issues with the child. And we, me and the mother discussed that that wasn't the goal that she wanted. Her goal was mostly for safety, but they kept adding other stuff in there that she didn't really like thought was necessary. And I kind of was turned away from that because it was kind of, it was kind of, I felt like, up to the parent to decide their children's fate, like what's comfortable with him. Like if she was just focused on safety, I think that should have been the main priority, not how he was sitting on a chair, especially if it was giving him a lot of sensory issues. Mm -hmm. And it was difficult at times, but ultimately that was one of the things that made me want to leave the company. It also just... Uh, like with a lot of other things, I was in school, so I couldn't give them all the time they needed as well. Did you try speaking up to your supervisor about your concerns? I did mention it. I did um, talk to my supervisor and she she was kind of like she was understanding of it, but it was weird. Like she was so understanding, but then nothing changed. Like when she, when I talked my concerns to her, she like would acknowledge my concerns and talk to me about it but then nothing changed out of our um like our IEP or anything like everything was set in stone she was like that's Mm. just how it is they just want and they kind of mentioned the word like normalizing like they kind of wanted them to be able to go in public and look normal I guess Mm -hmm. but a lot of what how I felt about therapy was not so much trying to make these kids look normal in the world, but have them comfortable in the world. So if that's going to bring them comfort to sit on their foot, so be it. I don't sit normal. <laughs> I sit all <laughs> over the place. I have my legs up. I don't care. Like I, I'll sit in like crisscross applesauce. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was like, why can't they? Like, I get, like, in certain situations, yes, you should be sitting upright. Like, if you're in, like, a job interview or something, like, you have to know when it's appropriate. Yeah, well, in an ideal world, if someone needed accommodations at a job interview, they should be able to tell their future employer that they may not be sitting down during the interview, that they may be standing or they may be pacing or sitting on a bouncy ball. Exactly, yeah. My biggest thing was it shouldn't be us trying to normalize them. It should be more about making them comfortable in our world and accommodating their needs. So if it's not inappropriate or or hurting anyone, then there's no big reason to make them uncomfortable in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they were Sometimes it felt like they were pushing more towards the normalization than making them, like, accommodating for them. And it was difficult to see at times. And I think now they are doing a lot to change the way ABA used to be. Mm -hmm. But it's still a lot of just learning and trying to... Because now there's so much more research than there was, people are starting to find different ways to give these supports to these um, 
individuals. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a BCBA, I I know what you're talking about with this kind of trying to normalize. And a lot of it also comes from parents not wanting their kids to stand out. So I think you're right, like with more autistic adults speaking up about their experiences with ABA and just what really is beneficial to them, then we can modify our practices so that we're actually addressing their true needs. So you're studying kinesiology or you're graduating soon, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And kinesiology is the study of body movement, right? Yes, correct. Okay. And so to become a physical therapist, you would need specialized training after your bachelor's degree. Yes. Okay. So what's that process? Of becoming a physical therapist? Sure. Um, so there's many routes you can take. There's some programs that are actually, um, if you go to a university, if they have the graduate program, you could go straight through. I was originally in one. I transferred two years ago, though, so I'm not in that anymore. But there's just different directions you can go. So you don't necessarily have to get a kinesiology degree. So the original school I went to, I was actually a psychology pre-physical therapy major. They give you multiple ways. As long as you get those prereqs, they don't really care what your major's in. But when I transferred, I transferred into kinesiology because I thought it was a little more appropriate. I did want to keep the psychology. That's why I have um, I'm keeping it as a minor. But I felt like kinesiology was teaching more about the individual like body movements and the muscles, whereas psychology is just mainly based on the mind. So I never really got that like physical aspect of it. And I think it's really preparing me more for physical therapy school. But if you're not in one of those programs, after you complete your bachelor's degree, you actually have to apply into a doctoral program for physical therapy. It's usually about three years it may depend on your university. Some are quicker, some are longer, just depends. I'm applying to a lot of the um, weekend programs. So it would just be like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That way I can help with Billy during the week. Um, but there's tons of different schools and they're very accommodating on what your life is like. So I'm a big caregiver for my brother. So if I, some reason, needed to do the weekend program, I would be able to do that so I can help him during the school week and then I'll switch with whoever. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's dependent on what you get into. It's definitely a very competitive field. So a lot of people don't get in the first time. You have to apply multiple times. The one person I worked with, um, I work as a physical therapy aide currently. And my manager, he was in graduate school at Newman University and he told me he had to apply three times so it just wow. it depends it's a long process and you have to have a ton of experience i started shadowing at 16 i started at theraplay i did geriatric um nursing home setting i've done hospitals acute care everything like i've shadowed and now i'm currently um working in a orthopedic sports medicine clinic. So it just depends. You just have to really try to um, show that you want to be in the field and that usually helps you get in. But 
I'm currently applying, so I'm hopeful, but we'll see. <laughs> I'll go wherever at this point. Mm-hmm. And you said your goal was to eventually work in pediatrics, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some example goals that a physical therapist might work on? So a lot of physical therapy is focusing on functional mobility and motor planning. For those who are unsure about what those exactly are, uh, functional mobility is an individual's ability to move independently and safely in an environment, whereas motor planning is more so um, just a way to help an individual remember the steps to take to perform a specific movement, such as how to tie your shoe. It also focuses a lot on like the biological aspect such as like muscle weakness, low muscle tone, neurological disorders that may cause issues with things such as proprioception, which is body awareness and space. It even focuses on like vestibular or balance as preventive medicine and maintenance of injuries. So for example, like those on the spectrum um, may be born with difficulties with vestibular balance. So it's just teaching them how to strengthen those muscles so that they're able to maintain that balance. So a lot of times you'll see therapy balls, just teaching them to sit on it and keep their body upright. That's to strengthen those core muscles and other muscles that you may need just so that they are able to even just sit in a chair because sometimes that's even just difficult for them. So it's it's very interesting. There's always something new, but it's especially the reason I loved pediatrics so much is because you do see a lot of special needs when you're in pediatric. And a lot of it's just do just trying to teach like, you know, normal developmental things. And it's always a new case and it's exciting. So and it's a lot of like play therapy, which is even better. <laughs> right. So the kids are having fun while they're in therapy. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> How is physical therapy different from occupational therapy? So I can tell a little bit about occupational therapy. I'm not, because I'm focusing on physical therapy, I'm not completely like certain with it. I mean, like I said, I have shattered like between both. So I've seen a little differences. Actually, my sister just graduated with her master's degree in occupational therapy. So she told me a little bit, but it's mostly, if I were to do like a comparison between occupational and physical, I would say like physical is more of gross motor. So that's like the body as a whole, like larger groups of muscles, whereas occupational is more fine motor, such as like teaching someone how to write, like hold a pen and write. Physical therapy would be more so like like I said, sitting on that ball, learning how to use all those muscles together to keep you upright. Whereas occupational is more of your everyday what you would do. So like if you needed to write your name or put a dish away, things like that, like teaching them the steps to get that motion in or like typing or sensory integration. But PT like they and OT, they share like similar goals, but both of their focus is mostly on giving an individual like success in being a, a participant in society, not trying to like fix them or anything. It's just important to focus on what a person can do rather what they can't do. 
it sets these patients up for success and gives them like a positive environment to work in. So these fields work together to make sure this happens. So they may have like similar overlap some ways. Like, so PT isn't just gross and OT is not just fine. They do both, but it's more of if that's how you're going to distinguish them. PT does mostly focus more on gross and OT focuses more on fine. So it's just, it's hard sometimes to separate the two. It really is. And that's why I think PT, they've made it more doctorate now and OT's master's, I think, because they're trying to separate it a little bit. Mm. But it's hard to say, like, you really would have to see them, but they do collaborate together. They share notes with each other. And like, if let's say like the goal was vestibular, the PT might teach them how to sit at a table, like get them their muscles ready to sit at a table. And then OT then from there can show them how to sit at a table and type. So that's kind of how they can collaborate together. Okay. Got it. Can you share a success story of one of your patients? How about I talk about this one patient? He's actually not, he's an adult. So he's, okay. I'm not going to give an age because I don't think I'm supposed to be giving ages, but he's an older adult. He's over 21 and he actually has cerebral palsy. And so that limits his whole left side of his body. So currently right now we are working on just strengthening that side because he, his whole life has just used his right side to compensate. He's always kind of just left the left side to go, which has caused a lot of issues because then he has all this pain on that side. And so we've been just doing a lot of therapy focusing on strengthening that left side and making all these tasks that he used to not do possible. So he used to not even be able to raise the left side above his head. And after working with him for, I think it's been, he's still with us right now. I think it's been maybe five months he's been with us and he's actually able to raise it over his head now. So Hmm. we've done that by obviously like we were working muscles, like he's been doing um, different weights and stuff, but his big thing of teaching him how to get that goal of raising his hand over his head so that he can take off his like shirt correctly and all that kind of stuff. We have this thing called a wall ladder. So it pretty much is, it's hard to explain, but it's pretty much a piece of wood that travels up the wall near like the ledge. And it has like little um, stairs for each way up. And we have them numbered so people can see their progression with it. And Mm -hmm. so he would use his fingers to climb up it. And then you'd slowly bring it down. And that started strengthening being able to keep that arm up and raised. So like you would crawl up and then you'd lift your arm from it. And that itself, that motion, just practicing that motion helped him achieve that goal. And it was just so amazing because he was so excited because he was like, all my life, I haven't been able to do this. And now I am. And I always just kind of used my diagnosis as an excuse. And now I'm really trying to. It's never too late to just work with your muscles, you know. So it was was really, he is such a sweet man. And he's constantly teaching me every day how every diagnosis is very different and I enjoy working with him a lot. (laughs) Oh, that's a great story of exactly 
that it's not ever too late. Mm -hmm. What are some of your values that you hope to incorporate into your practice? I think a lot of it has to do with understanding that everyone has their own story. Everyone has gone through different things in their lives. That's one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to keep psychology as a major is like with physical therapy, it's not a lot of it isn't a disability due to just muscle weakness. A lot of the times it has to do with mental, like what's going on in their head mentally. So sometimes before you can even strengthen the body, you have to find a way to have that person be able to believe they can do it. So sometimes they're so limited by their brain that they can't physically do it. One of my PTs that I work alongside, I actually had to say goodbye to her yesterday. It was sad. She moved on to a different clinic, but I always told her, I said, one of the biggest things I've learned from working with you is how important it is to build relationships with your patients. So to understand what's going on in their lives, to know how they're feeling and what makes them happy, what gets them to go here every day. And from that, using that to make them comfortable and want to better themselves. So a lot of our patients are Let's say they got into a car accident and they were told they were never going to be able to do something again. Well, it's sometimes it's bringing them to the point of you may not be able to fully do it again, but if you work with me, we will do something to make you more comfortable. And sometimes coming up with that reality of life happens, this may not be able to be normal again, but there's a way to still live your life and be able to do the things you want to do, even if you do have that disability. And I think a lot of times that goes along with those on the spectrum too. It's don't let your so-called disability limit you from what you want to do. It's definitely possible. And we're learning every day how to make it possible. But just because you have this label doesn't mean that you can't do the things you want to do in life. It's totally possible. But a lot of the times, this can't happen if you don't know how these people are thinking and what they want. And that's how you make a success story is really understanding your patient's goals and what's going to bring them there. Even if it's just a simple, how was your vacation last weekend? Mm -hmm. It really goes such a long way. Yeah. Well, good luck to you on your studies, and I'm sure you're going to be a fantastic physical therapist because I know your heart is in the right place. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, Vanessa, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to other siblings of autistic individuals, taking into consideration what your brother has taught you? A lot of times... Um... It can be hard to accept your brother's diagnosis or your sibling's diagnosis. I know for a while it was hard for me to realize that I'm never going to have that older brother that you see in movies that defends you or is that big tough guy to beat those people up for you. But they're there for you in other ways too that you may never think of. Like my brother has been my biggest inspiration in my life. Like not even to just be cheesy or anything. He 
he showed me the occupation that I want to do the rest of my life. He, he taught me patience. He taught me kindness. He taught me to never judge other people based on what they look like or <laughs> the weird thing they're doing in a playground. Um, <laughs> that there's really so much more to people. And if you open up that opportunity, you can learn so much from other people every day of your life. And if you're having difficulty with being able to form a relationship with your brother or sister, there are places you can go. There's tons of therapeutic support that families go to all the time. I never end up having to go there. It was kind of just forced on me and I just somehow was able to deal with it. But I know it's so much harder for the others out there. And even just things like when your siblings are doing ABA therapy and stuff, attend those sessions, see what they're doing, and realize what your sibling is going through and be compassionate about it. Because they're going through a lot too. You may be struggling, but so are they. So the biggest thing is just to support them, and then they'll support you in the long run. Oh. All right, Vanessa, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Would you like to share your social media handle if you want people to get in touch with you? or <laughs> You can. Um, if anyone really does want to follow me, I mean, I'm still, I'm not like any professional. I'm still in college and learning every day. Okay. But if anyone wants to, uh, you can always follow me. It's just my first and last name, Vanessa Lista underscores on things. And then also my email is just my name. I always up for creating like opportunities to learn from others, hear their stories and create a community. But I get like, I can't really give like advice or anything. I'm not that much a professional, but I can tell you based off of what I've dealt with in my own life. All right. Well, thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Vanessa and her brother have built their relationship on care, trust, and respect. They listen to each other's needs and are able to relate in their own special way. Although Billy may express support differently from others, all Vanessa needs to know that he's there for her is a simple hand squeeze. Are you a sibling wanting to connect with others going through similar experiences? You can find a supportive network of family members, professionals, and self-advocates in our global autism community. Whatever your role is related to autism, you can participate in these important conversations on our platform. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.